Hey, everybody. Welcome to the 17th episode of the Between You and I Bad Grammar podcast. And today is really special to me. Um, Ryan and I are going to be hanging out with Danny Newcomb, who is the one of the guitar players and my main writing partner for the band Goodness that I was in. And I'm super excited to have him on the podcast. Um, he's also now deep into having a ton of solo work and he's releasing uh, new work again. I think it's his fourth solo CD. He'll tell us, but he's fantastic. He is one of my longest music friends and continues to be an artistic partner to me. And so I'm just excited to hang out with him and we can talk about whatever we want to talk about. Sound good? I'm looking forward to it. All right. Me too. Here we go. everybody um thank you for listening to the podcast if you feel like subscribing that would be really awesome but today i'm very excited because we have one of my oldest friends and writing partner danny newcomb hello 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 hello, hello. danny and i how long have we known each other now since 95 i thought it was like since seventh grade but <laughs> you're that creepy that kid <laughs> that creepy kid in the back of the room you're the guy who's throwing things at me oh irritating <laughs> i'm glad you noticed i did but i i didn't turn around because i didn't want to give you any you know <laughs> any impetus i want to feed that oh good one <laughs> so i'm going to tell the little story about how we met um so danny and i danny was one of the founding members of the band goodness the second band that i was ever in um and I met Danny through a friend, uh, Timo Ellis, who Whoa. is also an amazing musician. He has uh, done uh, so many creative things, and he has a band, The Netherlands, um, who are super full on. They're um, powerful. Anywho, um, in Seattle, I think it was 1995, Timo and I were kind of writing and you know just experimenting on music and I told him I was looking to put a band together and he said oh you gotta meet my friend Danny and so I he did introduce us right did he introduce us but then didn't wouldn't like hand out your phone number or was it like (laughs) it went went both ways I think you know I think uh you guys were demoing some stuff after Hammerbox and you were Mm -hmm. kind of starting to go in a certain direction with your music and kind of trying to figure out what you wanted to do after that Mm-hmm. And uh, I think he played me some demos, and I think I heard your voice, and I was like, I was hassling him at the same time. I think I called him up and said, Timo, you know, give me Carrie's number, and he wouldn't do it. He kept making that <laughs> story. So he was like, well, I don't I don't know. Maybe you should blah, 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 blah. And I was like, what are you talking about? You know, I was just giving your number. And yeah, he was, he was kind of in the middle for a little while. I think he was... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Everyone well, wants to work with Carrie is kind of what it is. Well, that's nice. Mm-hmm. Well, Tim, you know, Timo's like the master of many things. Like he, you name it, he plays it and he's um, constantly creating. And so I think yeah. he just was like, no, I want all the projects. Yes, and he, he probably could have done all the projects. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but it was like, no, Timo, you have too many projects and I actually need to get something done. So, <laughs> well, and I was thinking about 
actually one of the first times we got together um, with Garth um, and mm-hmm. played and Garth and Timo were friends. Garth right. ended up playing guitar and goodness, but I also knew Garth and Timo from uh, going to school down at Olympia. And, Evergreen, uh, right? You guys yeah, all went Evergreen. to Evergreen. Yeah. yeah. And so um, I remember we jammed at Timo's Space. I came over, we jammed at Timo's Space. And one of the songs we jammed on, I know, think there's a recording somewhere, was Superwise. Right. And I remember when we jammed on it in the room, I was like, oh, I was like, this oh. sounds really good. <laughs> Isn't that the best? Like when you just, that's what everyone hopes for is when all of a sudden you start making music and you're like, oh, right. <laughs> this could be good. You know, this could be good. And that bulb goes on somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, when I met Garth, because I saw him and Timo play in their band Nubbin, who I adore to this day, I still have vinyl of Nubbin, like, cause I, Right. Like they're, they're the, and, and at that time, Garth was playing bass right? and, um, and Timo was singing and playing guitar. Um, I still have vinyl of Nubbin, but cause they were such a great combination of like pop to full on like poppy metal. Like it was just, right. it would, it would hit hard. And I'd be like, and, Oh my and God. Timo was such a big fan of the cars that a lot oh, of that stuff yeah. came through, you know, the super, super great candy rock guitar pop. Yeah. Um, I remember uh, Garth complaining about his, uh, well, he wasn't complaining, but his grandma always called them the new bins. <laughs> that would be so annoying. Are you playing be like, your band, the new bins tonight? The new bins, yeah. <laughs> new bins. Oh, grandma, yeah. <laughs> That's awful. That's, That's awful. But I, I mean, I <laughs> loved that music. Um, but anywho, yeah, so, so uh, I think I met you first. And then my brother, actually, Eric, was playing drums at the time. Um, right. And yeah. we had Mary Ellen Cooley playing bass for a that while. Was like the first year, I think, we had yeah. Mary Ellen and Eric playing bass. And we went through, we did the first demo sessions with John, too, with that band, if I remember right. John Goodman right. recorded them at uh, Reciprocal, right? But it was called yep. John Hughes then, yeah. The Triangle Building. What is it called now? The League of Justice or something over in... Fremont. Hall, Hall of Justice. League Hall of Justice. Justice. Yeah. <laughs> it's very, yeah. It sounds very important. Um, but it always has been important uh, landmark studio. So that's cool. It's yeah. Cool. And it literally is a triangle. Like it's the tiniest building, but that's what makes it so unique and fun to have been there. Record Hammerbox recorded there even. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely a landmark. But I remember, yeah, when we were initially just writing the first songs such an exciting time when you first bring a group together and you know it's going to be good and it's kind of a free-for-all like we were really open like we didn't say ahead of time oh we want to be exactly this no and and i never said that yeah and i feel like between you and myself we have enough distinctive uh differences that it made something unique Um, i wouldn't i wouldn't say our differences are huge but 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 i will have sort of a new wave like minor key bent to something you know and and you write really great riffs and um just in general write great songs and then getting to put like vocal melodies and lyrics to all that just seemed easy it seemed to go easy well and i would go actually one step further i think um in retrospect looking back at bands now that i'm (laughs) not in them anymore (laughs) really uh you know, they're, they're like a family, but the musical tension 
you know, comes out of personality differences and, and temperament differences and influential differences. So you got to have some of that, you know, you got to have that give and take to make something, something good, even though at the time it can be, um, you know, butting heads. Well, I look back on it and I've said to somebody recently that both of the first bands I was ever in, so Hammerbox and Goodness, both were a collection of people who were strangers to each other. Oh. And I, I think that that's, a good thing uh, right. because you don't have like years of old habits and things like that. It was a group of brand new bank of people together who didn't know each other either. Like you guys didn't really know my brother. I didn't know Mary Ellen. Um, I mean, I didn't know any of you, but I like that. I mean, I've always, I think I've going forward. I, at least on solo records, I have a brand new band every time. Yeah. Um, because you never, you know, that's the mystery. Um, I mean, everybody's good. Like, you know, enough things to say like, well, everyone here is good. It can't be terrible. <laughs> I don't well, think we're going to create anything terrible. There are some mixes of personality, of course, that, and, and style that are more, that are better, you know, yeah, I, I yeah. think, uh, really, you know, of course, being a musician and is a lot of it's mainly about listening. And so, um, that being in mind, you're going to play off whoever you're playing with. You're going to create whoever with the person you're playing with because you're riffing off them, you know? Right. That's a you good know, part of the, I, There's a couple things. So do you remember two things? First, I, I have really stopped and thought how lucky I was that, again, in both first bands, I was with mostly men, but men who were – it wasn't a concern that I was a female. Like I never felt – and definitely not in Hammerbox and definitely not in Goodness – um, I just were really grateful that I was surrounded by men where that wasn't like even a factor. Like it wasn't, it wasn't going to be like, Oh, we have a female lead. So it should look like this or anything like my femaleness right. wasn't had nothing to do. It was all about like writing right away and being musicians. And I well, really, that, so that thank you. Be, yeah. I, and I think that's a, you know, at least as far as goodness goes, I think that was a, the way I felt was just, uh, we're here to do, we're here to make art. It's not, you know, I, yeah, but I you know, like I was never into the commercial look either, or sculpting things to be a certain way. So that's probably yeah. for that as well. But it's just like a bunch of feminist men. I just kind of really appreciate <laughs> that. Like I, just, I, every once in a while, I'll be like, think about that. Other people have a lot of trouble, and I, anyways, I just really, as I realize, um, looking, you know, just the great things about people I've gotten to work with, and that was one of them. Um, but do you remember when we first started writing, you and I started writing, um, I felt like it went easy, very it's natural. It's always gone super easy. Yeah. And I think I've, I've become, you know, even last couple of years when we've gotten together every once in a while and played, we always make up one or two really good ideas. And so, you know, that's, un that's unusual. I haven't really had that. You think happen. so? I do. Yeah. So how do you I guys mean, actually, like uh, how do you work together to create a song? Like, has there... Does somebody, does Carrie go first and like kind of have the lead or how, like, what is that process like? It kind of depends on what we have. Yeah. Um, yeah. It has been music based in the past. I mean, I know with the first goodness record, it was music. We'd come up with a riff and some music and then Carrie would, would right. do a work. But that's not always the way it, it would happen. Um, well, at, at the time it was like, I hadn't, I had just, just started to try and write songs. So I hadn't. I didn't have the experience under my belt like Danny did and some of the other folks that they've been writing since you were probably nine um, in other bands. And so for me, that's just where I was writing wise. But in Hammerbox, what I felt like I did hone was 
listening. So music would be created. It was my job to listen and see what it triggered um, lyrically, but also right. uh, vocal melody wise. Um, and so that that I had kind of down. Um, but writing my own stuff came a bit later in goodness, way more in goodness. Well, I think the first record to me, um, there's a lot of great things about the first goodness record, but I think um, just the energy and the, and the, the sort of synergy of everything. And it just feels alive. Um, yeah. Thanks to John Goodmanson as well for that. Mm -hmm. But um, do you remember on that record too, John was the first one him and I started talking about me singing less because my big hang up was, well, you know, I've been in this first band where I growl a lot, <laughs> you know, and it's, <laughs> no, it's just, it's that. like zero to a hundred on the vocals. And then I was like, I don't, you know, I, I want to see if I'm capable of, of kind of singing differently, basically. And so John was the first one to have me, we called it talk singing. <laughs> I didn't know that. I didn't know yeah. that. Oh no, we had full on conversations about it. Like sing less, like smoking. Uh, smoking is one of those songs. Lost uh, is definitely one of those. Yeah. Later. For lover's sake. Yeah. Like literally, especially smoking. It was like he, we did take after take where he was like, sing less. Like yeah. just talk to me. Like well, talk, sing it. <laughs> and what I was going to say is from a songwriting perspective, that first um, record, you really have some solid writing, you know, in those songs. I mean, and, it, and a very distinct si style, how you uh, use the language. You know, I think uh, oh. like Viva La High and stuff. I mean, th those are all experiences we had, like on the Elliot yes. tour and stuff like that. But yes, yes, yes. yes. But uh, they're they're encapsulated so well, you know. And I was yeah. what was I thinking about? Oh, I was thinking about um, sincerely yours. And I remember when we were working on that song, it has that riff, you know. Um, mm -hmm. It's almost like a classical yeah. kind of progression, but it's got this weird kind of polka beat too. And then you came in and started singing those lyrics and I was like, holy crap. It's like in the melody, you know, that was we really, that was really fun. It was so amazing. Um, it, and, and it's such a shift one again, just appreciating an open mind. Um, it's such a shift from Hammerbox. Oh yeah. Right. Um, I didn't realize that at the time. Yeah, I went back just as we got ready for this podcast and listened to both. And I was like, I just, again, lots of appreciation and gratitude for being able to shift into a different style, but, but not think about it. Right. I mean, I think I wanted, I wanted more room to sing. Um, so, and so goodness, I feel like had a lot more of a like guitar pop, whereas Hammerbox had a lot more harder um, lots of parts, a lot of hard experimental ish, you know, sound to it, but goodness lent itself to singing, uh, in a different way, like just, a, and I could storytell in our songs, um, right. Really consciously. I mean, in Hammerbox, it was, I was just finding words for the first time. And then Dave also wrote, um, a bunch of lyrics as well, but I it was the first time I'd ever written lyrics was in Hammerbox, but in goodness, I thought, I really felt like I got to move forward into clear storytelling. Um, smoking. What, what would be the song oh, that yeah. off the first record that would be? Uh, Viva La High, <laughs> Smoking. Yeah. Um, even Superwise, even Superwise, it was how I felt, right? Like it was trying to be a positive song about what counts to me. Um, 
God, almost all those songs, Wicked Eye, like that's a, a distinct story in my head. Um, so, I mean, I was trying to think what else. Oh, Labor Day, uh, too. Oh, yeah. Labor Day. Yeah, exactly. Um, at the same time, getting to like express strength, like run around is one of my all time favorites that we call right. Garth Rock <laughs> for anybody for no one in goodness calls it run around. It's all Garth Rock um, uh, that had a killer guitars on it. And it's supposed to be just sort of a tougher song. You know what I mean? Like a, yeah. a, definitely a female strength song, but all of those songs right away. I, again, I think the music lent itself. I certainly had that purpose in mind. Like I want to elevate, I want to learn how to song, write, But I also want to elevate myself and do something different. Um, and you're a songwriter. And so I got to be with songwriters, you know, who had already written things that had shape you know what I mean? And right. you had a lot of lo a knowledge around like what songwriting could be. Um, well, I had a lot of experience in writing musical pieces. And right. as, as my time has gone on, I've been focused more on lyrics lately. But yeah, no, it was a lot of and that synergy. Like if you listen to Superwise now, there's like this tidal wave of music and you're kind of in there surfing the whole thing. And then and then the chorus is all you, you know, it's great. It works very nicely, you know. Well, that guitar line is just badass. I mean, yeah, I, anybody who can recognize that guitar line <laughs> from any, the minute you play that, people are like, oh, you know, like, <laughs> it does <laughs> which is lovely. Thing. It's it so lovely. Yeah. Well, and, you know, and I had, I was very conscious about what I energetically wanted goodness to be, hence the name goodness. Right. Right. In my mind, it was like, I want to write, I want to express my stories and my feelings, but also kind of write songs that people could get behind emotionally. I think they could with Hammerbox. It was just harder, right? Like just hard driving. Um, there's definitely angst and things in there, but this, it was really, I think music for the people. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. felt like um, clearer, much clearer songs about, uh, I mean, the lyrics are just a lot more straightforward. Um, yeah, and, some, and more pop. And yeah, and a lot more pop. Traditional arrangements, yeah. Well, and those arrangements give, like I said, a lot more room to a singer you yeah. know it wasn't like <laughs> well there's just more space in those songs I also had to break habits you know as I can go listen to records and be like oh like on the first Hammerbox record I I would fill in with small words like well and you know when I would sing they weren't right. really necessary right. to be there right. but I would do that a lot and I probably did some of that on the first goodness record uh but I've tried to be very like don't do that you know um up until like even the latest solo record, like I can hear like, oh, you're breathing. Like, <laughs> this is such a singer thing to do. Be like, oh, you're really aching that thing, you know, like, ah, as opposed to just, ah, you know, like, um, and so in goodness, I just felt like there was a lot more, I could elongate out phrases. I could just simply state like the chorus line, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. and so, and I was just, so I was just trying to grow, you know, uh, in all ways. Um, and I, I recently again, gone back and listened and just thought those songs are the, the reason why at least our fans, you know, attached to those songs because they're really personal. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're right. driving and they're right. amazing to watch live. I think, I mean, we've always had fun with our fans. So what, are your gonna... top, what are your top five off the first record? Do you think off the first record? Yeah. Uh, definitely run around. Yeah. Um, Super wise. I like smoking. Um, 
Smoking is still one of my favorites off that record. It just builds in such an interesting way. You know? Yeah, and it's killer to sing. I mean, it's just, it's, you know, I will think about the things that I enjoy. I also like, you know, I also like Wicked Eye, too, because I like that chorus a lot. Yeah. Um, but let me see, what else? You got one more. I got one more, huh? You can have two. <laughs> um (laughs) i got rules man there's uh i think i liked labor day i mean what it was like even but weirder i loved for lover's sake we i don't think i think we played it live one time in our whole career but i really liked that because we literally recorded that off the fly for me that was like the first like it's like your vocals are kind of like the main instruments which is great yeah so that was really fun i liked that a lot i went on to recently to listen to probably what should have been our second record these yeah. days what that really that? Sh- well these days i feel like should have really been the second record in terms of evolution of because uh, it still retains our experimental even though we recorded it after anthem um it's got i mean i'm obsessed with a lot of songs like queen gasoline i love um uh these days i love sister twin I disco love yeah i love one room one rooms fall right. away like that hell of a chorus is to sing that's like at the top of my range i remember we would be like we'll slow the tape down and sing it and (laughs) And you're like i gotta sing this live guys i gotta thank god for adrenaline right because i think that's the only way to do it just for all the tips and tricks out there folks like adrenaline is your friend um for notes that are hard to reach but uh i've got yeah so i've gone back and i get really into like kind of the deep tracks of things we have not played a lot of and i was like oh i really like those and they probably have a, a pretty melodic bent to them all of those yeah, that would have been an int- that would have been an interesting second record if we'd been left to our own devices and and gotten to make that record instead of being held up with uh, atlantic right right and i never understood why john goodmanson's version of anthem wasn't something they wanted to keep like i don't get it you probably know more than me i just was like I I never got a straight answer. I think I think um, uh, the Jason Flom at Atlantic got got mixed messages back from all his radio people, and that's what he based his whole career off of. So it just had to do with hearing back from a couple of big uh, big shot DJs, I think, and how the record was going to be marketed. I mean, do you really think a producer sound the way they make a record sound really makes or break a single? Maybe it does. I don't think I don't know if it was so much the sound as that he wanted you know like um uh another version of like i'm just a girl by uh you know no doubt at that yeah yeah he was looking for a kind of a hit radio hit and i don't know i think we were a little ahead of our time and a little bit more experimental than what he was looking for frankly like in the oddest way like because we are a weird combination a weird in a good way i guess of guitar rock pop female singer that's a strong voice fia included like the, <laughs> our combination was really like what is this <laughs> like you know <laughs> it's not alanis morissette i mean it could be i guess but it, that's really solo it's the treatment of her records just like cheryl crow or whatever they they right. feel very um centered around the singer well, like super produced i mean all of that stuff was yeah all written by the producer so that's a whole different ball of wax i feel like we are this weird combination of like cheap trick and Pat Benatar <laughs> and I don't know, and other things, right? Like new wave things, maybe, maybe the cars. I don't know what else, but like with a flavor of like, you know, like 
Chris and Garth are, you know, they've got a whole side of things that they love as well. But I'm like, we were an odd combination, but it was delicious. I thought, remember the, I felt like the problem Atlantic had because they go off data uh, is that the people they played the music for liked everything. And that was a problem because they couldn't that, nail that, that a was, single. They couldn't pick a single. That was yeah. The, everybody just liked everything. The they were like, well, maybe goodbye. I mean, that seems like a good problem to have. Yeah, I know right. you would think, but nothing makes sense in the music industry. It should have been Superwise in my book. I'm like, just lay out Superwise. Just come on. Yeah, it just come was out. there a big but difference should... between the two productions? Then, like, like that you guys noticed? Like, I think Ted nicely had a really. Oh, Danny will be able to speak this more than myself, but I feel like he had a very clean, tidy. He got great sounds, but it was a radio tidy. It was a whole different process. Um, yeah. When we recorded with John, we would rehearse the songs and decide what arrangements we liked and then all record live in a room together. So the recordings had a very organic feel. We didn't use a click track with the drums. Um, and Ted Nicely came, and this is part of the reason we hired him, to his credit, right. mm -hmm. um, was they go through sort of the big studio production um, at Band Animals, spend a month recording. A lot of the basic tracks took most of the time recording bass yeah. and drums and they were all done to a click track and everything was lined up perfectly and uh it was very different and it was pretty hard uh i think on chris and fia oh god uh, yeah they had to get everything lined up in a way that was very i don't know after but having recorded the whole record one time i mean it was i think it was hard right. on the whole band because you're like recording a record is really uh consuming Right. I mean, it's you. That's you're literally you're living in a barn. Just you know, we were up at um, Bear Creek, right? Mm -hmm. And um, you're consumed with the making of a record. And then when someone says, "Nope, do it all over again," you're like, Oof, "Oh yeah. my god!" I mean, I can hear again vocally. I can hear my burnout. It's oh, yeah. clean. It's all clean, but there's a little less live spark to it. Well, and I wanted, and there was one thing I wanted to bring up today too. Just in general, was one of the funnest times for me. Number one, writing with you in this project was awesome. We always had such a good time, and it was usually good. But right before the first record, we went in for the first record. I think it was like a week and a half before. I think we wrote, we finished like two or three songs. One yeah. of them being one of them being goodbye. Maybe ever ready was no that we'd Maybe. have that for a while, but. But there was no shortage of material when we were uh, feeling good and, and being yeah. in our creative mode. But yeah. being held held up by Atlantic for two years was was just kind of kills all that, you know. It well, and makes, then it's the second yeah. record for a band. You've been touring. You got you got stress. People's again. The so the good thing about collecting strangers to make a band is that it's wide open but nobody knows each other so <laughs> there's the chance someone's bullshit is going to come out two years into it it's like oh you well, know, know we're not getting along well yeah yeah but i mean there's stress on a band second record is always stressful right always stressful and so it was just stressful and then you know then personally everybody deals with their stress and having their own personal lives and so those things are going on as well and then the label says, go make your baby for the second time. Start from scratch. And it's like, right. oh, my God. OK. Well, that being said, I think the record we did with Ted Nicely came out really well. I mean, we buckled down yeah. and did a lot of work. And I think those tracks sound great. And he did a good job. Um, it just uh, was sort of a momentum killer at the time. 
Yeah. And he was nicely. Ted was Mr. Nicely. He was nicely nice. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. He's very nice. Um, so, so it's interesting. Danny and I always say to, to Ryan, like, I wish, or you and I talked about this, where we wished we were a lot alike. The other thing that happens, I guess I'm backing up, when you're on tour and you're getting really busy is you can easily just go to your corner, right? Like, because you're just trying to deal. And now that Danny and I talk about touring now, we're like, we're actually a lot alike. We wish we would have sort of partnered up and said like, you know, just have somebody else to say like, when you, I'd rather go read a book right now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I can't hang out in this bar one more minute or, you know, someone to commiserate with as opposed to kind of feeling uh, alone. Well, I think we kind of knew that when we did, remember when we did those radio shows for yeah. like we flew down, yeah, yeah. We down to San Francisco and we had to do that morning <sighs> crack of dawn, that, that morning crack of dawn with the weatherman, like out in front of the people <laughs> swimming, swimming laps. And then we were like lip syncing yes. in front of these lap, this lap pool. Like at seven Awkward. Sounds glamorous. Yeah. It's awful. It was super <laughs> funny. But, but we laughed the whole time. We had a good time. I mean, it didn't, you know, it didn't, yeah. didn't feel negative. It was, we were definitely troopers. And that was like, at the time, that was like your tier one work. Mm-hmm. So you got signed, a record comes out. The first level that you do is like these morning shows and, you know, any radio they that they can get to talk to you. And right. um, that's kind of like the first level. So that's all the stuff you look forward to doing if you get at the time. It's vastly different today. But um uh, that was funny because it would be like, all right, tier one, we're going to be up at seven in the morning pretending to be rockers. And it was just, ugh, it was hard. Yeah. But we laughed. We did laugh. You have to yeah, laugh or you'd cry. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or you drink. Or you drink a lot. Yeah, yeah. But we were, go- I mean, everybody in that band was solid, wanted to work hard. You yeah, know what I mean? That's totally like, true. Everybody's got a work ethic. And, you know, your work ethic goes way back, right? Like you were in a band with Chris. Right. Um, in Shadow. Yeah. Um, with your buddies. What, how old were you when that, again, when that band started? I always think you're 11, but I almost want to say you were younger. No. When I started playing with Chris, I was like 10 or something. I don't know. It was, right? Yeah. What the hell was I doing when I was 10? Chris Not was still wearing braces. Yeah. <laughs> So cute. Okay, do we have to tell the story about when you wanted to bring Chris into goodness? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not it's sure a funny story. Oh, you know what story it is. So, like I said, we started off with my brother was playing drums and he's an, a killer drummer. Um, but he was in two bands at the time. And so he had said, Hey, I'm going to go. Um, go play in my other band and I can't do both. So I was like, okay. Um, and then Mary Ellen had other projects or she, she left. And so I think Eric actually introduced us to Fia. Did he? Yeah. 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 Somebody had talked to him about Fia. That's how we met Fia. Um, and so when Eric left, you had said, Hey, um, what about my friend, Chris? And, um, I was like, Chris, who, and you're like, Chris Freel. And I was like, oh no, like, <laughs> Why? Because, well, I've, t- I've said this a million times. I feel like, um, so I knew the Freel brothers, that's Chris and Rick from when I was at the university of Washington. And I think the one or both of them hung out at not Parnassus. It was a coffee shop. Um, espresso the coffee shop, espresso Roma, espresso Roma. Yes. And they were pretty boys. Mm -hmm. And I had a real like anti pretty boy attitude. And so you were like, oh, Chris Freel. And I was like, "Uh, no. Really? (laughs) Yeah. I was like, no. 
nope, we're not inviting the pretty boy into the band. And you're like, come on, you got, you were very sincere. Um, and understandably you were like, no, he's really good. You could give him a chance. And I was just like, Ugh. and so like, but the great, the great end of the story is like, so, you know, Chris shows up, he's got his own style, right? You know, he's got like torn jeans and all this stuff. And the whole time I'm being super, you know, indie grunge, cynical, just like, mm, you know, like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the day Chris tried out, I, I really have a lot of um, respect for him. And, and he schooled me that day. I, I had been so used to in Hammerbox, we all kind of went to our separate corners and I never looked at anybody. I like sat in a corner and listened and wrote lyrics. Or if I was mad, I'd put a pole in between our faces. You know what I mean? Just super passive aggressive 20 year old things to do. And so when Chris came to try out, we were running through the songs and he was hammering away, just staring at me dead in my eyes. And I started to get like defensive, like, what the hell are you looking at? Right. <laughs> in my head I don't think I said it out loud but I was like why is this fucker like staring at me like what do you want I was getting all this defensive and so I finally asked him I said what are you looking at he's like oh, I'm waiting for you to tell me what to do and I was like <laughs> I was like oh schooled thank you Chris Friel because <laughs> he was a professional he was really right. wide open he's like I'm the drummer you you know like I'm waiting for you carry the starter of goodness to tell me what to do. And I just had never, uh, I wasn't grown up. You know what I mean? I wasn't experienced and I was being very immature and I, but I recognized right away. I was like, that guy just schooled you. I, yes. Yes to him. Thank you. Like he just taught you something. And I, and I loved that. And yeah, I forever love Chris Friel. He is our steady Eddie. Um, that guy never brings drama he is a consummate player. Um, he will play any show anywhere, any day to my chagrin sometimes. Cause I'd be like, <laughs> Oh, for God's sakes, like call it. No, the show must go on. And I'm like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> um, uh, but he's also even keel, right? Like he's not drama. And so that's, I've really appreciated. He's got a very good. No, and I, I think, I think, you know, God bless him. He's incredibly loyal as a human being too. I think. There's oh my God. Thing. Yeah. And a killer drummer. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, anywho. So, yeah, so many things learned. I've just been really appreciating the lessons and how they were learned in the people. I mean, even the hard stuff, too. Uh, but that's just what happens when you're growing up. You know what I mean? We were all in our 20s. And um, right. I, I definitely look back at uh, someone had made a comment. Um, Pete Greenberg, who is our friend and who's um, been a supporter of goodness and now has latent records. Um sent me a note because I'm not on social media right now sent me a note saying hey somebody was complimenting Hammerbox and they had a video <laughs> a video of when we played Rock Candy and I watched it and I was like I just the difference between like 23 to like even in goodness I was like I just felt like what a dork <laughs> like <laughs> everything that came out of my mouth just seemed stupid <laughs> and just like, oh, no. Well, you have you know. to remember who the audience was. <laughs> I, I think you have to remember who the audience was. They weren't that. They were the same age. And a lot of, and the scene back then was so awesome. The scene back then was so awesome. Yeah. Well, I definitely wasn't practiced in stage banter in, no. in, in any way. So it all comes out very dorky and very unconfident. Like, I don't know. That's, you know, it's the, 
Well, I would you, say went, you went from getting a photography art degree, right? You dubbed it jumping right into playing with a band. I mean, the Hammerbox was yeah. your first band, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's intense. I mean, for me, intense. I've been doing since I was nine. And so I kind yeah. of, you know, had years to get over some most of my stage fright. <laughs> By the time, you know, totally. Well, someone had said to me um, during the Hammerbox A&M Records era, somebody we were working with with A&M was like, you know, dancers practice and practice and practice and then they perform. You're having to do this all in front of people. Like you're having to learn while you're in front of people. And that's what's hard is there's you're not I'm not practicing in front of a mirror. You know, I didn't videotape myself. I didn't. That would have felt pretentious, I think, at the time, you know, although, you know, it has its place. But um, but in goodness, I felt like, you know, as a growth thing. Right. I had a I had a purpose uh, energetically, right. About what this band would represent. And that played out on stage as well. And we cultivated, I feel like a fan base that was, um, that knew they were loved. Right. You know what I mean? And I was like, I, we, well, I welcome all dorks. Anyone else trying to be cool can get the hell out. Like, you know, it was, I was out loud about that all the time. Like if you're being a dick, get out. Well, and I that was want the thing to. that band had was, uh, I think through you in a large part was that immediate personal connection, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, a very loyal following, which kind of today still, you know, is there. Yeah. I mean, and I can't, you know, I, I still am somewhat surprised by people who say, oh, you know, I've just listened to Superwise the other day. I'm like, what? You know, I know. It's, exactly. Uh, or, or any of our other old songs, too. It's it's uh, I think that's the, you know, as a as a writer, but also just as a musician, I think that's the signal of success. You know, I think so, too. Last like yeah, that. You made something really... timeless. That's pretty impressive always. Yeah. Well, and it seems accidental. Are <laughs> <laughs> all magical things. I know. Right. Seemingly. Right. Well, I also think that um, it takes a lot of I think it takes courage to be yourself in a cool scene. I think and, so, too. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. I always was for the underdog. And so Seattle definitely has its moments of too cool for school. And I really. um I hated that. I mean, I knew a lot of great people. I'd say for the most part, everybody was really great. But if I could, if I could sniff out someone like being a dick, I, I was from across a room would be like, "You over by the lamp, get the fuck out!" Like, <laughs> well, and, and the town, the town blew up so hard. You know? Yeah. It just, it, I mean, when I was a kid and I was playing with Shadow with um, that band, there was like no place to play. Like the fastbacks were playing and stuff. You'd have to rent your hall and there was no and it was just completely different. So um, by the time things blew up in the 90s, it was, you know, it was world famous. I mean, yeah. (laughs) Enough so that Mark Garn could coin a term, you know. Right. Well, you know, what are your thoughts? And we had this conversation with Julia Francis, who was on the podcast on the last episode. And I think it was with her, Ryan. I can't remember. We were talking about like, I was talking about with someone recently, like, is it, oh no, I was talking, sorry. I was talking with a friend of mine, uh, Brandon. We were saying, what now? And he was asking me, what do you think about like the venues and possible closures and, um, you know, what does it mean for the artists? And I was like, well, I think the artists are already in trouble, you know, even if the prior to the pandemic because of the expense now of living in Seattle. And I said, you know, we, we got to do goodness when I could rent a $300 apartment and be a barista and be in a band and that covered, you know, that covered everything. 
Well, we also had, I mean, we got paid a living too to be on the label. So sure. now there's not even the majors for most artists, not to the extent of what it was. Right. I was like, well, like you were saying with Shadow, you would go make your own place to play. And I'm like, is that, those are the things I would seek out. If I felt like my control was being taken away from me, I would look for the avenues where I could make some things up where it didn't cost me an arm leg. I'm like, well, what are those avenues? I, I, house shows, I guess. But I was like, those are the things I feel like that will give artists a fighting chance is if our, where are the places, the venues, the, I mean, when I say venue, it's like in quotes, like whatever you right, consider a venue right. that doesn't cost you, that is a whole new, you know, in, in the light of how it is right now, like kind of punk rock and a renegade, you know, effort out of need. Well, I was talking. And so that's a really interesting subject for me. I mean, I've, right. So when I was going to school down in Olympia, um, you know, Nirvana was playing around down there. They played my friend's birthday party and stuff. They sounded like, holy hell. I mean, it did not sound good. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but of course, you know, then they released Bleach and I'm, you know, I'm like, wow, oh, yeah. amazing. I heard that yeah. right away. But um, that was in a total vacuum. I mean, down there with Calvin and the K Records crew and Bikini right? Kill and that whole thing. Total small time town uh, doing, coming up with their own version of what, you know, you saw on MTV or the bigger picture, you know, and trying to subvert it with their ideas. And I think that's how most art is, you know, used to be successful. Um, and it's one of the things that I'm kind of wondering now I'm jumping tracks a little bit, but I'm wondering if being able to stay so connected via our phones and social media, if it takes some of the energy out of actually making something you know what i mean yeah if you're just posting on the on social media you're not you know spending time hold up somewhere writing songs and coming up with a with a you know separate world so to speak um, well, which seattle used to be in the in the 80s right and those channels didn't exist when we even had goodness like oh, yeah you couldn't get anything out yeah yeah and so out. but now that's a that's a vital channel where people right. are living and breathing right. and sharing and doing all of that. So what happens to live connection and how do you, how do you not just get people to go right. But like to recognize again, like the physical being in physically together and well, the energy. I was in the supermarket yesterday and I'm like, <laughs> the checker, I'm like, you know, it's going to be really weird. We can all see each other's lips again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think we may come out of this uh, and need to go back to uh, sort of local is more kind of attitude. You know what I mean? Kind of. I hope so. That's what I'm hoping. That's what I'm well, hoping. Well, I, I want, you know, it's a whole different generation, right? It's a whole nother group of people who are having their own particular Seattle experience or Northwest experience. It's different. It's a whole different yeah. world. So I don't know what's going to be special for them given all the, you know, things that, that exist now that didn't yeah like what makes it special for you like do you you know is special live you know what I mean like because I like the idea of like you know the smell the sights the sounds of live music you know yeah. no, like I, I know I miss it Dress yeah right yeah 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 there, you can, there's nothing sure. like that like having been in some like I just thought during the grunge era too, like being at the central even or places where I'm like, you can't replace the specialness of a worn out shoe. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah, it's they, a, it the energy years, alone. Years. Yeah. yeah. Just, just being well, around people. Years. Yeah. Yes, exactly. 
Yeah, right. And, and what an is energy. that? There's an mm-hmm. energy. Yeah. You know, that, that you were talking, Carrie, early about hitting those mm-hmm. high notes when you get the adrenaline mm-hmm. rush. And that's, you know, and the same with playing guitar. You know, same yeah. with playing a song. You, you get a hyper focus, you know, on yeah. what you're doing. When I mean, there's that. a feedback loop. Like when you're playing in front of people, I mean, I'm sure the audience feeds you and you feed them. And yeah. you're like yeah. playing off of each other and seeing that energy. Like you're saying it's happened. It's, it's powerful. Whereas I think if you're doing it online, like I, I think I was watching something the other day and like uh, it was really kind of. Like actually, just a conference, but the you know the fact that nobody could applaud at the end, I kind of right. felt bad for the presenter because I was like, oh, they're just they're done, and it was awesome, and everybody's like, wow, that was awesome in the chat, but I'm like, that's that's not the yeah. same. <laughs> Right. It's not the same. And you can feel it as the artist, like even all the wonderful like shows that are happening on Vashon, right? But like you go play by yourself and it's simulcast, right? Or live stream. And I was like, but Danny, you've done it. Like you've done the yeah. live stream show um, that Deborah Heesh um, has helped put on, which is fantastic. But weren't you even saying like it was a wonderful experience, but it's just you alone in a room. So you, it's, you're right. waiting. There's something that's good for the artist when you get that feedback, that exchange, like the, the, response back the bodies the it's, it's such a particular experience about about playing music i mean there's other certainly a lot of other art forms but you get that immediate response i think is is just so great from the live shows. yeah mm-hmm. it's an yeah. exchange you're yeah. having yeah. a powerful it's human perfect. exchange yeah right there good bad and ugly mm-hmm. um i maybe love I that just, um, maybe i should just have, you know <laughs> put lips on my mask would that would that make it better no that'd be weird that just you're going weird (laughs) don't try don't try to make something awkward better you just can't you know what i mean you just gotta let it be what it is but so i want to i want to move sort of towards like your evolution as a musician because i was thinking um well you know what carrie what you were a big part of that was i yeah damn straight (laughs) but i think of you might not realize it but i i remember in goodness like you're pretty shy you were shy like you were uh, one a consummate guitar player right and crafter of music and all that but like getting on stage i mean it would be a big deal if you wore like white pants or got like like the putting an effort into i mean you'd already done it in shadow i like those pants those were killer pants. And when you would bleach your hair blonde, but that was like, there was some humility to that. Like, Oh, that's not, you know, whatever, um, a shyness to that. And I think from, you didn't, you didn't seem to love the, like, ha, you know, like you're not a ham, you know what I mean? No. You're not like, I need more attention. In fact, it seemed slightly difficult. I mean, you liked it when you did it, you looked great, but it was sort of an effort and it didn't seem quite comfortable to, to now you're doing what well, one I, I was saying to Ryan, I'm always um, super um, deep respect for anyone who goes from like, I play an instrument to now I sing and play an instrument, like who will take singing on and you really have. And what I was saying to Ryan was like, I also think that you're very thoughtful about it in respect to singing um, and all that it could be. Um, like that's a, hmm. that's a mindset. Like, that's how I think about singing. Like I'm a singer, like you're a guitar player. I right. think about it. Well, I'm not fakey, but like, I'm interested in what I can do vocally or, or how I'm portraying a song or the, the message and how do you deliver that vocally? Um, and so just to watch you go from like, 
seem you know seeming like shy i don't really want to look at anybody you know whatever to like you're now writing incredibly like vulnerable songs and especially on the latest stuff right like very stripped down so what is that do you see that do you see that evolution of yourself i do i do it was um but i it was more self-conscious right when i started it yeah sure i think you know when i was younger it was um I worked really hard to be proficient playing guitar and writing, but writing, but the stuff I've loved my entire life has not been the most complicated music. Um, mm-hmm. And so I guess by saying that, it means I appreciated the art in it, you know, sort of the focus, like you don't have to be, you know, a virtuoso to write the kind of song that people are going to sing when you're not around. You know what I mean? That was, so yeah. that was kind of channeling that vibe. So even, so starting singing, yeah, that was terrifying. I mean, I was saying backups with goodness, but you know, coming out and, and doing my right. own songs, I had to figure out a different way to write. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah. Comfortable for me. Um, so that meant figuring out what I had to say and then, you know, sort yeah. of the sonics of the whole thing. But yeah, I, I was telling you a few weeks ago about that. You know, there, I think there was one show that I booked early on with a band and it was uh, like this super heavy metal band and i was like it was <laughs> that's right I started singing, and it was like i get out there it was me it was a three-piece right mm-hmm. so it was just me and uh and bass and drums and just the front it looks like a bunch of bikers up front and it's just me and a microphone I'm that's like, right okay i gotta do this and it, it went great i did a bunch of yeah. extra guitar solos and they loved that and then i got off the stage but it was you know it was it was tough. It was definitely trial by fire. Well, when you become the singer, you are the storyteller. You are the talker. Like you're talking right. to them. Like everybody enjoys the music, but when you're the one saying the words, you definitely become the focal point. Yeah. They're like, "What's that guy saying?" You know, like, I mean, goodness, we had some shows where one, it was just trouble being a female-led band when we did some touring. Um, but you are speaking to people. It's you. It's on you. Yeah. Oh, you put this band together. It's got your name on it. You wrote songs. What are you trying to say to me? Right, <laughs> I mean, right. there's no hiding. So for you to go from like, remember, because like at the beginning of goodness, like I don't think you'd even turn around. No, you, I wasn't that bad. You would. You would. You <laughs> one. You were smoking at the time. Like you. Oh my God. you that, right. That was my. That was my. That was my veil. Yeah. Yes. Was, oh yeah. yeah. But it, it wasn't like you were like, Hey everybody can't wait to talk to you. You were Mm-mm, no. Yeah. And now you're like at the front where that someone's like, All right, guy. it's got your name on it you've written some songs what are you trying to say like that's full focus on you right right and it's it's been great you know it's been one of the i feel like i'm like if you looked up late bloomer in the dictionary if there was a dictionary (laughs) if you googled late bloomer then you would you would see a picture of me i mean it's it's been yeah you see me because it's like one sort of set of skills after another and this crazy kind of journey but you know i just I can remember being a kid and hearing like the Beatles for the first time and it just changed my world. You know, it's made me so, uh, yeah, just so glad to be alive. And for me, a a lot of playing music is, uh, getting back to that, you know, kid joy spot. And so it still does that even now and singing takes me even deeper into that. So I I love singing. Well, you just, you have full control and deep power over your storytelling. Right. So that. we we yeah. get we get all of Danny, you know what I mean? So yeah. if you're here to share something, that's a much deeper part of you. 
Um, but that's what I think is amazing about being a singer songwriter is that you, you have a, a craft to share stories and make people feel better, things like that. Um, and your so in your solo stuff too, um, it has evolved as well. I was going back and listening through your records and now you have a fourth one coming out. Right. And, right. And, and this is the one that's stripped down. Yeah. So this one, Mackerel Sky is the title is, uh, I released a record, Steal the World, last year with the band, mm-hmm. the Sugar Makers, mm-hmm. which is more of the, you know, kind of the rock and roll format that I've been used to um, for most of well, my life. And your song, American, is out there, too. I really like that one. Yeah, that's the angry political one. I like it. It has a whole different yeah. feel to it. Thanks. Yeah, so that was the last one with the band I released last year, and, and I wasn't planning on writing another record, but uh, for the next year or two, I, I tend to be prolific once I get going, but I... Uh, Actually, uh, my wife said I couldn't write a record for another year. She was like, "You can't write a record for another year. <laughs> You've been writing too much." I was like, "Okay, whatever." But well, haven't you released a record like every year for the last like every year and a half? Yeah, <laughs> it's like, oh my god, that's impressive. Yeah, you know, it feels great, yeah. and I, I'm always like, "Well, this one's a little bit better in this way," and I really like it. So it always there's always a newness to me that I to it that mm-hmm. I I love. I love the new. I love writing. Um, yeah, but, that's a good feeling. So I, I started writing and I just kind of, I get up every morning and I write. So that's kind of my process, but I wasn't planning on writing a new record, but I got some news about a family member for me that was pretty intense. It was a, mm-hmm. a diagnosis of a, you know, incurable illness. And mm-hmm. I, uh, so I started woodshedding and I was like, I just want to do something that's more open and more in the first person. And so I borrowed a 12 string acoustic which I don't normally, I mean, I always write on a six string acoustic. I have this, uh, 1960s, uh, Gibson acoustic that I found in a pawn shop, like back in 97, I think I was on a camping trip up in Vancouver wow. and, uh, it's just beat the heck. Yeah, no, I got a great price on it, but so I'll get up and I'll, and I'll write a little bit on that, but I, I'd never written on a 12 string and it's a very, it's harder to play and it's just a bigger sound, but it's almost like it's orchestral. Like you don't need a lot oh, cool. to be able to sing and feel like it's something full is backing you up. Yeah. So, so kind of with that news about the family illness, I started just kind of, you know, started working on this dis- different instrument and then start, then the record started to shape up, but I was, it was kind of a shock. Well, you and I have talked about just the evolution over your solo work too. going from, I mean, you start with what you know, right? Like you can write songs and have a band and then you kind of learn from there and evolve in terms of what you want to do different or, um, and as it should be, I feel like as you, cause now it really is you, it really is you as the artist saying, here's how I want to do things, or I want to try this, or, <clears throat> or here's how I want to run things. Um, and, and I think those are all fair choices. I think you kind of have to make those. Um, but, but that takes a concerted effort, um, and acknowledgement and decision-making to go from like, well, I know how to do this. I could have a band and a band tends to want to make all the decisions together. Right. So it's, it becomes a little less like right, right. your thing. Um, you know, kind of naturally will, but it takes a lot. And I, and I'm, this is a compliment, like to say no to that, not because everyone isn't a wonderful player and all of that, but that you, uh, you want to narrow the creative effort down to just 
you want to own it more, right? Right. And I, I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of reasons why one of them, one of them is that I wanted to move further out of my safety net in terms of yeah. playing guitar. Like I can always fall back and, you know, play something nice on the guitar that I like to play, like whether it's a lead or something like that. But I wanted to say, okay, so I have these new superpowers. I want to, I want to put myself in a situation of danger where I have to use them <laughs> to, it, to stay alive. No, I'm kidding. But <laughs> kind of right. <laughs> yeah. But it was more of like, you know, once again, for me, it's like that newness and wanting to create something that I haven't done before and taking that leap of faith is uh, an integral part of that for me. You know, I've never wanted to be, um, you know, stuck uh, in, a, in a place where I'm just kind of resting on something I've done in the past. It makes me uh, itchy, you know, Yeah, it makes me restless. Well, it makes it really clear that you're a thoughtful artist. You know, you're not just Thank like, you. I can, I can churn out similar things. And and I guess there's nothing wrong with that either. Someone's putting out the music that they want to put I love, out. I love ACDC. Oh my God. Who doesn't? <laughs> <laughs> oh, who? I actually just started got, like the other week was on Spotify going way into ACDC, especially the Bon Scott years. I like the Bon right. Scott years. And I to like me, that's years. when you start, like, that's when you start seeing like, and, uh, someone set the parameters on a, on a certain kind of art they wanted to make and then honed yeah. it. You know, it's like the Ramones or Velvet Underground or something like that, where they just, yeah. like, I want to take this really simple focus and I want to make it super beautiful and in this really particular way, you know, it's right. total vision. It's, it's amazing. Um, well, I think when you're a solo artist, you know, you're not, I know you and I are similar too. Like you have a curiosity. Yeah. You know, you're not done. And so, and, and when you start doing solo stuff and starting to sing and all that, you're like at the beginning of like, you know, you're at the beginning of a whole nother long journey that could have investigation in it forever. If you want to be a conscious artist, you know, evolving, interested in different things, like that's forever. That's forever. Right. That seems like a tough call to make, you know, it's like to know, like, do you want to keep honing in on that same sound or do you want to branch out and make something totally different and. How, how do you decide? Right. Well, then if you love music too, there's like so many kinds of candy, you know, you're like, Oh, right. like yeah. I get one. <laughs> I mean, I like, I like guitar rock. I also like electronic stuff. I like soul. Right. I like new wave stuff. I'm like, I could, it could be very confusing if you were focused on like, what does my fan base think or whatever. Um, but but as an artist, that's not, you know, if, if, if you do it for the wrong reasons, that can feel very stuck and that feeling is not good. Well, that's exactly right. And, and I think there's another component to this conversation, too, is after you get more experience. Um, I was talking with John about this because he, he sent me some mixes for the new record a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. And John is like the most laid back engineer producer. Like he will not give you a lot of input you know unless sometimes he'll make little adjustments here and there he'll be like well you could leave a little bit of that out you know but like one suggestion maybe per record you know right and on. i realized yeah. you know when we went back through the mixing process and and he has this amazing ability to create uh sort of a narrative sound and feel that overarches for a whole record which i think is oh. amazing and and I was talking to him about that, and I realized all of a sudden I said, you know, it's not the decisions. It's all the little things you didn't do 
all the edits you didn't do make to tighten things up in a certain way that kind of give it this natural organic feel. So it's yeah. the choices you don't, the choices you make not pursuing something are equally right. valid as the direction you're moving towards. You know, it's like that. Yeah. It's your taste. It's that editing process that you sort of, you know, unconsciously go through. That's well, I, I think he's honed his intuitive ability too, right? Like you're not going to beat this horse to death. You know, you can manipulate it a lot, but don't do that. Like he probably, I feel like he has a good intuitive pattern of like, the man you know, has good taste. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And well, you know how some people like mess with something and never. I'm sorry. Uh oh. You there? Can you hear me? Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Okay, that was really weird. Um, oh. Shit. Anywho, there I am. I, it's the headset. Anywho, um, what was I going to say? Uh, About done. Yeah, I, I think he's not someone who's going to take something and like work on it, work, you know, like, you know, some people just never finish things and they could forever be working on something because right. there's 18 million ways you could do something. I think he's got incredible intuition around like and done, you know what I mean? Like, or yeah. oh, that's tasty. Yeah. And, you right. know, right. That, good. That's, that's art. Yeah. That's yeah. That is, you know. And for folks, I mean, just for folks listening to John Goodmanson has been working on goodness stuff and your stuff and Slater Kenny and so many things uh, with Steve Fisk, who was also on the podcast and who's done my uh, last two solo records and is a part of Pigeonhead. I mean, he comes from a legacy of producers um, that is really powerful as well. Like he as a producer artist is, he, I mean, he's a, he's just excellent at what he does. He's an artist unto himself, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. And he actually, the first Goodness Records, Fisk was talking about doing it originally, and John was engineering with him. John was right. an understudy to Steve Fisk when, when that session started. And I think yep. and then John ended up making that record with us. Yeah. Well, I mean, you could see the legacy. That's the, you know, as we talk, like just going even back from Shadow, like um, it's so amazing. Um, the Northwest music legacy. I mean, obviously it goes farther back than that, but like, these are people we've known since we were like 24, you know, or, and all this evolution of everybody as, you know, in the art that they do and the partnering we have all done and um, continue to do is pretty cool. Yeah. And I, and, and, you know, I mean, I, most of our listeners know that Mike McCready grew up with me in shadow. Right. But he's also been really great in terms of running his record label and putting local music out and um, Pearl Jam, of course, is, you know, Pearl right. Jam. Well, but, I've, I've always thought Mike really craved creativity. Like he's a seeker. He is a seeker. That's exact. That's exactly right. And he's also, uh, as a player, one of the most focused and in the moment players like I know. Oh like God. He's fluid. Yeah. He's just fluid, you know, and, and yeah. that's, uh, that's where I would like to be with singing. Like when I'm writing a singing part, that's that space, creating that space where you just, you know, you're open to it, you know? Yeah. He's very comfortable in the free fall. I feel like, or the intuition, right. like, you know, you, that's a practiced, it probably doesn't feel like a practicing, but that's a practice thing to just be like, I'm good. I feel safe. I'm willing to, you know, I'm very comfortable in the jumping off of the cliff. Like, right. <laughs> I don't, you know, I, I got no, this. Amazing, amazing. <laughs> yeah. 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 And well, and you know, I felt lucky enough too to get to play in the Rockfords with you and Mike right. and, and Chris John and Rick. Too. 
Yep. And jogging. Yeah. So it's just been, I mean, these are, I feel, I feel like when I say those things out loud, I start to look going, Oh, look at all the people you've gotten to write with, play music with, record with, and it's healthy. It's awesome. Lots of talent, lots of talent. And that is sheer pleasure. It's a pleasure. I don't really want to give up. I won't. <laughs> Why would you want to? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I've had Martin, you know, Danny knows I have my burnout moments where I'm like, why even, you know, like I have my burnout moments and, um, it's those things like recognizing what like a delicious plate of creativity everybody is that makes me go, oh, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. Okay. I'll keep that. Like, you know, like, you know, that's, that's nice. And, and it's one of those things that like I can partake in. It's not at the whim of, it's something I can control. Right. And it's, I'm grateful that it's something I can partake in, um, partner with people, write music. Um, and I'm grateful for all of those relationships that allow me to, you know, play with other musicians and write songs and record. And these are all things that I love that, aren't at the whim of, of, you know, lack of control or whatever. These are things I can always have. And that's reassuring to me. Right. You know, I've, I've been thinking a little bit about music lately in terms of how underrated it is as a, um, as a necessary part of life. You know, I think, I think we sort of all take it for granted because it's just like water, you know, you're just like, Oh yeah, it's water, you know, but it, it's deeply, you know, especially as crazy as things have been this spring, um, for me, like writing and, and being able to play and create music has been, you know, deeply sustaining. I mean, it has all my life, but especially now it has to me yeah. a deeper sort of. Uh, well, I think as we get older, we have appreciation. Right? Like right. We, we, we've done enough things and at a certain age, you know, uh, you, you know, events, like you've said, like hard things happen that force you t- into appreciation as well. Right. <clears throat> and so that's a great place to get to and be because you get to feel the value of something as opposed to like blowing through life and then feeling um, untethered and and not happy. Or um, if you can get to the point where you have that kind of appreciation, it just is grounding, I think. Right. And reassuring. I think it's, you know, recently, like I, in the last couple of years, like I've done shared or taught workshops to around writing. Yeah. And I think it's, I think, you know, as you talk about music today, I'm like, that's one of the things that I like to give back. It'd be fun to actually do with you as well is just pass that on to people, the appreciation of songwriting, you know, storyteller expressing yourself um, uniquely expressing yourself and having re- respect for however you want to say or do things like giving that, that jewel back to people or to them at all is a game changer in a, in a world that prizes, um, well-paying jobs and buying a lot of things and, you know, right. Mid- midlife right. crisis where everyone's like, why am I not happy? And I'm like, well, what did you put your value into kind of right. thing? Anyways. What did you seek? What were you seeking? Yeah. Looking yeah. For? And, and I think this is really something that I'm feeling, you know, and I, and I don't want to get into politics too much here, but I think uh, modern do, America, Danny. there's, there's <laughs> just, there's just, um, you know, what do we aspire to be? What are we taught to seek out? You know, what is our cultural priority in terms of how we live, you know? And, um, I guess in some ways I've always felt like music is sort of selfish 
because it is an ego driven, that need for expression is ego driven, but it's also, um, you're tapping into this great humanity too. So it's a long tradition of being a part of something that's bigger than you, as opposed to, you know, just focusing on commerce or, you know, having nice things in your house or, you know, and, and- I, you know, you know, I even think it's a, it's a, it's a imperative thing that people should be able to tap into ex- self-expression. Right. right. I think it's missing. You know, it, it could happen in any way that suits the person doing it, but it's it's missing in terms of being valued um, so on, on yeah. a broad spectrum. Right. right. Like that. I'm reading this book and I probably said in the lad po- last po- Seth Godin's book, um, The Icarus Deception. And it's the book I need to be reading right now. But it kind of I think it speaks to this because he talks about the value of living and functioning as an artistic person or arts contribution to the world, like just the thought um, state of mind you have to be in, um, in order to make art producer. And this could be anything, right. But it's a different state of mind than, um, Oh, I'm going to put my value in um, my career path, which is based upon like industrial worker pathways and leads you to be more of a cog than, um, a personally self-expressed person who understands themselves and things like that. Anyways, you just talk about the importance of returning to um, art. And again, not being a painter necessarily. He's just saying like, that's a different state of mind when you're, when you're functioning with the value of art artistically, things like that. Well, and I think you can, you can have that mindset in terms of your relationships with other people, being creative mm-hmm. with other people. Um, you can have it in terms of, you know, solving an engineering problem. Um, you could have it being a surgeon. You can, there's, there's all these yeah. different applications for it. It's not just music. Um, of course, right. music, I think it, it, the more people learn about music is that, you know, it may have been there before language. It may have been a pre singing may have been a precursor to actual language and which is very, you know, the thing that separates us from the, uh, the monks. Uh, <laughs> so there you go. But and it's very but, healing too. Yeah. But I think art, you know, as long as, as long as you are considering your humanity, you, that therefore become may become an artistic endeavor, um, doing the work you do. I start so you know I um, do creative coaching and life coaching, and I recently have done a couple workshops where there's uh, um, a group of like five women we get together and and we started off basically the the idea I had was like, I want to bring them as individuals to the center um, in their own minds and from there kind of re-examine whatever it might be that isn't work. You know, they can sense like what's not working for them or what's the issue or just talk about their lives. And it's been really amazing and fun to see what's coming out of it Yeah, um, because there is just this um, lack of self-value. Right. Like you get so caught up in the on the path that you're told you're supposed to have that you yourself are lost um, on a daily basis. Right. Or if you're a woman, there's lots of other, you know, traps you could fall into about like caretaking and, you know, you should, you know, spending your time taking care of everyone else and making everything work. And, and again, once again, you're lost. Um it's just been really interesting to bring the individual or the person forward and recognize, like state out loud, like you are a value. Right. You are I a value. The mere fact of, so 
as as much trouble as I get in from making a record every year, year and a half, um, <laughs> it also validates my existence and it's part of my story. I yeah. for me that is that that releasing of records, that writing of songs is um, sort of me, you know, putting a putting a flag up on my moon, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's it's that sort of thing. What are you going to do? So given the current COVID state, what are your thoughts on what um, you creatively have thought? What will you do you know, about playing live and the kind, will it affect the kinds of music that you're making? And is it making you automatically shift towards something you might not have thought of? And now you're like, oh, that actually gets me closer to intimacy or well, <laughs> in, ter- in terms of an audience or. Right. And I'm, I'm, you know, to be honest, I'm struggling with that right now because I'm trying to release this record and right. all of my, uh, my, all my records have paid for themselves. I've been very fortunate that way, but a lot of that's been done through, um, playing live shows and sales at live shows. So I don't have any of that. Um, I had to cancel, I don't know, a significant right. amount of shows this, this spring that I was gearing up for to release this record. So I'm having to reevaluate that and push things back. So this record is coming out in, in uh, September now, September 19th. Okay. Um, and give me some time to promote it a little bit. But, you know, it's also the music business died and then has been reborn sort of as a cottage industry for the most part. Um, and so but and yet you can't promote it as a cottage industry right now because we're going through such great, you know, civil change. You know, I don't feel like yeah. it's, you don't want to get on and promote yourself i feel like it's time to kind of you know uh be involved in that and and put your put your effort behind that Um, right so so there's all these uh, the normal routes of releasing music right now is is complicated so i'm i'm definitely just gonna take my time and um you know get a couple reviews for the record and be a little bit of maybe a little bit more of a, a slower release and and not trying to hype it up it also one thing i do feel good about i think this record because of its space um sort of mirrors you know the distance that we've all been kind of feeling by being in lockdown and quarantined and just the sort of general you know anxiety about um, not knowing what comes next um with yeah. the pandemic and the politics and all that stuff so um yeah. so i do think that the record will be well received so that's good but as oh i have all, no doubt yeah as for the fall, I'm, I'm just waiting to see. I might try and play a couple of outdoor, you know, shows. Well, that's what I was wondering, too, like outdoor shows or, or very small house shows, again, intimate, um, might be an amazing style of playing for intimate music and storytelling. And, you know, out of all of this, like self-expression on a really authentic level will be a good thing. I um, love that idea. That, you know, I think that's I agree. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think, I think what's happening is necessary, you know what I mean? Like it's necessary. Um, and and it, it's, it's one of those things that forces realness. And right. I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Right. Have either of you guys looked at any of those VR performance spaces, like alt space? I know like Reggie Watts is <gasps> okay, doing that. Um, no, but I, I will go right out and see that. Reggie Watts is amazing. Yeah. He, he, he fits very well in the VR space. He? Of course he <laughs> yeah. does. He's brilliant. I love him. Yeah. Um, that's a great, that's interesting. Um, so what, what's another space besides the VR space? What is that? Well, I think there's like different services. Like 
the way it works is as an audience member, you can see like the avatars of the other people and you can hear the other people as the audience. I don't know. I've never used it as an artist. So oh, I don't know what that's reality like. You're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Like full on, you know, you put your goggles on and you're in this and you see the performer performing on this, yep. on this, on their stage, like, you know, either virtual stage or they're like, they're recorded and you can do it in 3d so you can see them better, but you know, you don't have that's to. That's trippy. Right. Okay. I, we broke down Well, we saved for it. We got my son a VR headset. Yeah. An Oculus VR headset. And it's amazing. It's so <laughs> trippy. You can, when you put it on, yeah, one, you could be on top of a mountain. It, right. yet you're sitting right. in your right. living room. So, and there's games and all that, you know, you could even exercise stuff. And, but you could also literally pick your living room, put on Netflix and be sitting in the virtual living room, watching the movie, not your own living room. But an even but better like, living room than your own. It's so <laughs> weird. I was like, "This is amazing and so dangerous to me right now." Like, I don't need to go get Airbnb. I got it right here. They're like, <laughs> I'm at this cabin on a mountain watching Netflix. Sweet, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah, the theater experience is so much better than an actual theater experience, except for the popcorn. You know, so you're like, <laughs> I feel bad for movie theaters. <laughs> right. Well, in music venues and all kinds of stuff, we shall see, won't we? we shall well, see. Danny, we thank you so much for talking with me today. I just love you so much. You know that. And um, I think we, I know you and I could write a record in in two days. I have no problem. I, maybe we should do that. Three mm. days might be better. Three days? Okay, fine. <laughs> Still good. <laughs> I am, you know, you know, I love you too. And I'm totally down to do that. So um, we should. Yes. We shall. Um, yeah. We will put links to all of your stuff and folks go out and listen, go buy, support artists. Um, we are very blessed, I feel like, to live in a strong music community. Um, I feel very proud to be a part of it. And Danny, you're evidence of my good life. So I appreciate uh, you. Well, ditto, ditto back to you. And I really right. enjoyed talking about this stuff. It's good. Very it was good. fun, right? We went deep. Whoa, we got deep. Whoa, well, I was talking about putting a flag on my moon. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I got a visual. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah, it looks like the MTV logo, doesn't it? A <laughs> little bit, a little bit. Yeah. All right, everybody. Well, hope you guys have a great week. Hope you enjoy listening, and thank you so much. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. Ryan here. Normally, this is where we would play the outro music for the podcast, um, but Danny was gracious enough to give us uh, two of his songs to play on the show, and he even recorded a little introduction to describe each one for them, and uh, we've put it here for you to enjoy. Thanks, Danny. So, Chase the Dark, is um, it's been the first single off my new upcoming record, and um Actually, I'll have a video out for that in a couple of weeks. But it um, it's sort of about uh, a chance of meeting with somebody who has a really different perspective than you, but also in a bigger picture of of reevaluating how you see just being alive and the choices you make and what directions things may run into. Um, it's also a little bit more of an upbeat song and moves a little bit faster. I like the like the pace, and uh, yeah, check it out. Take it when you fell my way.
like a vagabond for a rainy day All I said was, it's okay Storing names and numbers like currency Trading what couldn't be nailed down so easily You train wreck and a striptease
The song Golden is um, sort of more, and it falls more into the classic style of songwriting that I that I do love, and it uh, it's kind of one of those idea songs where you're focusing on the idea and letting the language kind of fall where where it may within certain verses. Um, but I love the piano playing on this one. I felt like it really moved in and kind of took over from the guitar and drove it, drove the whole song in a more melodic way. So, you know I love the pop. Anyways, here it is. Here's Golden. She said the light was golden She stepped into 